Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua chapter 17, the book of Joshua chapter 17. We continue our study through the Old Testament. And if you remember last week how the lot fell to the children of Joseph, and now we continue in chapter 17. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1, there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. For he was the firstborn of Joseph. Remember, we're looking at the children of Joseph. He was the firstborn of Joseph, namely for Mahir, the son, the, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. You know, he's a warrior. That's how it translates. He's a warrior. And, you know, in the Hebrew, and engage, he engages in battle. I love that. Now, remember the rules of engagement of the old covenant. Now, as new covenant believers, we're still warriors abiding in Christ. There's still the warrior aspect, the warrior element. But at the same time, understand that it's a different kind of weaponry. We're warriors of a different kind, not according to the flesh. When you look at the, these passages of the Old Testament, as we always say, observe Israel according to the flesh. The flesh. Old Testament. Now, when you think of Old Testament, just think of old nature. The flesh, the flesh, the flesh. New Testament, think of new creation in Christ. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Now, in Christ, there's still this aspect of the warrior mindset, the warrior mentality, and even uh, 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 the works and the deeds of the warrior, but it's a different kind of weaponry. Remember the weapons? It just so happens that we spoke about on, uh, on Sunday. Remember the weapons as humility and meekness, peaceability as weaponry. It's not of the flesh as new covenant believers now. We're in, we're studying the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, these aspects of the Old Covenant and the, and the Old Testament. And so you see there's a different set of rules of engagement. And so we continue in verse one. He says, therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan. Now, remember, remember the five beautiful, beautiful, beautiful daughters of Zelophehad in Numbers 27. There was Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirsa. Remember in our study when we looked at uh, 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 in Numbers 27? Well, this is that family and this is that lineage. This is that lineage. Remember the five daughters and how they go to Moses about their inheritance in the land? Very interesting that we see five wise daughters. This is the, we're in the, the lineage of, uh, the, the lineage of Joseph. You know, these, these descendants of Joseph born from an Egyptian womb. Very important to remember that, especially as New Covenant believers. And so we see here in verse 2, And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abiezer, the children of Helek, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. But Zelophehad, remember we studied him. We studied this, uh, 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 this lineage, this family from Numbers 27. I mean, if you're listening for the first time and you haven't listened to our study in Numbers 27, go back and listen to that study in Numbers 27. And while you're at it, 
you know, might as well, you know, get caught up with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then, you know, Joshua, continue in Joshua. But Zelophehad had in verse 3, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirsa. Now, remember in our study in Numbers how the first census, all male. And that first census, they all died. Second census, male and female. Male and female. You see? Now, the same thing applies with you and me. First census, according to the flesh, we're born into Adam. No entry into the promised land. But then when a person is born into Christ, becomes a, you know, a born again believer, born again. See, there's our first birth from our mother's womb, no entry into paradise. But then the second birth, which is birth into Christ, born again believers, now there's entry into paradise. You see, you have these Old Testament examples and it's so beautiful how Paul says to the church, these things are written for us, for our admonition, but we can have these deeper understandings, the old interpreting new, new interpreting old. First census, male, dead. Second census, male and female, promised land. You see, and don't forget in Christ, in Christ, there's no male nor female in Christ, equality. Equality. Now, understand within that framework of equality, there are responsibilities. You see, and you know, coverings are always male, but you know, in the Bible, there's also the female covering unto children, the female covering of the womb unto children. But when we get into like a, a church setting, pastoral leadership, elders, always male, always male. You see, just like, you know, when our, in our pastoral epistles, you know, on our Sunday study, we've been looking at the first, first and second Timothy and Titus. And you remember the introduction where it's like, you know, female, if, if, if you go to a church for the first time, you're new in a church and it's female pastor, jump ship. Wrong formula. Wrong formula. You might say, well, she's a good teacher. She's a good teacher. Listen, it is written, a, a, a woman is not to have authority over a man. You see, female pastor, don't go. You say, well, she's a good teacher. She's a good teacher. Hold on. Wait a second. We're talking about the formula where new wine comes from. New wine pouring in. You see, new wine and new wine skins, not old wine skins, but there's a very specific formula for that new wine to pour out and into others. And within the framework of these blueprints, I'm just a messenger. It's what the word of God says. You see, sometimes people get mad. They're like, well, you know, like the males are so dumb and the males, they've, you know, they, 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 they're, they're making a mess of things. And, you know, sometimes I talk with feminists in the church. They're believers, but they're kind of like, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're a, 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 a little bit kind of like a quasi feminist in the church, Christians. And so, well, but the men, they've made a mess of things. And I have no disagreement. I have no disagreement whatsoever because, yes, you're right. The men have made a mess of things. I mean, just look at the state of the church today. I mean, a, a lot of uh, uh, pastors, they get on a high horse. Well, you know, women, you have to submit, you have to submit, you have to submit. But in submission, there's a very specific framework for submission. 
You see, wives submit to the husband. Now, if the husband's crazy town, wife, you submit to the better husband, Jesus Christ. You see, husband wants to do his drugs, his crack, his alcohol and all these things and say, you know, hey, you know, come with me. You're supposed to submit to me. So, you know, come with me, go, go to the street corner and buy this for me and do all that. The wife could say, no, that's not happening. That's not happening. You see. And a lot of times, you know, a, a lot of times what happens in marriage is that, you know, the wife becomes a slave in her own home. You see a lot of husbands who lord over their wives and the wife is like a slave class and even worse, a concubine more than wife. Instead of being a spouse and a wife and a friend, wife is slave and concubine. And I hate to say that, but proof is in the pudding. I call it like I see it, you see? And then so sometimes you see in that framework, you also see the kids, they're like a slave class. And then, you know, when the kids are 18, they're just like, okay, I'm out of here. I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ because what they grew up in was the wrong formula, you see? Wives, yes, submit to your own husbands. It's not wives, you know, women submit to men. No, wives, submit to your own husband. And your husband, when you submit to your husband, your husband himself better be in submission to Jesus Christ. He better, that means like, you know, no sex, I mean, like, you know, within marriage, you know, sex, but like, you know, no strippers, no prostitutes, no pornography. And, you know, he's not doing his crack. He's not doing the Ouija boards. He's not doing any of that crazy stuff. Because if he is, do not submit to him. You submit to Jesus Christ, the better husband. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't mean like, okay, hey, I'm going to get divorced from my husband. Now, don't forget, sexual sin, there is grounds for divorce, biblical grounds for divorce. But no, if it's, you know, that he's not submitting to Jesus Christ because of, you know, uh, something else outside of, you know, sexual sin and, and uh, marital infid- sexual infidelity, then you still hold on to your husband. You don't submit to him, but you still hold on to him for, for, for not your dear life, but for his dear life, because you might save your husband. In the course of time, you might save your husband. And then you hold on to your kids with your other hand. You see, and your whole body, one arm stretched out, the other arm stretched out. Your whole body is like the cross, just like Jesus Christ. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice unto the Lord. You see, yes, it is written, wives, submit to your husbands. But, you know, at the same time, there's a framework for your husband. Your husband better be in submission to Jesus Christ. But the same goes with pastors, too, for men, women, and children. You know, yes, there is, you know, the Bible does say submit to the pastor. But there's a very, very specific framework for pastors. What are the qualifications for pastors? You see, full package. And these are things that we're studying in our pastoral epistles. Now, sometimes people get back to me and they're like, well, you know, you're, you're going a little too hardcore with this pastoral epistles. You're going a little too far with you. You're, you're too hardcore. You're too strict on, you know, the Calvinists, the money preachers, you know, the Pentecostals and, you know, the, the, the charismatic and you're too hardcore about all this stuff and the new apostolic reformation. You know, they got to, they, they went to seminary. They went, they have their degree in theology. Well, Listen to me. There is a seduction that is happening in these last days. There is a major, major seduction that is happening in these last days where 
Protestant churches. I don't like using these official titles like Protestant because, you know, you look at the framework of Protestant, Protestantis, Protest, Protestants, and it's pretty messed up. I mean, you have within the framework of Protestants, you have Lutheran, Episcopal, Methodist, uh, uh, Calvinist, Reformed, uh, 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 Charismatic. You have all kinds of different framework under that umbrella of Protestants. And that's why I don't like using Protestants because it's like kind of like a blank. You have the evangelicals. It's kind of like a, like a, a broad, brush to to, to 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 categorize everybody and i don't like that because it's like let's just follow the bible let's just follow the bible i don't care you know you know uh, you know all these titles for denominations titles for denom what's wrong with the bible you see and so what's happening in this seduction is that you're starting to see churches that are being seduced don't forget, the Bible prophesies of a mother of harlots. A mother of harlots. It's almost like a, like a one world religion. A mother of harlots. And this mother of harlots, you know, because she's titled as mother of harlots, that means her daughters. That means, number one, she has daughters. But then number two, that means that the daughters are also harlots. You know what harlot is? It's a whore. That's what it is, a whore, mother of whores, you see? And you say like, whoa, that's pretty hardcore. I know it's hardcore. I'm fully aware of it, but it's happening. Protestants are being seduced into this one world religion. And when you read the prophecies, you see how there's under the framework of this one world religion. And you also see how there's a, like the, it leads to and builds up under another framework of the beast from the earth. The beast from the earth who will usher in the mark of the beast system. These are all things that are happening. I mean, you know, sometimes I wonder, do I even need to say this because it's happening? And sometimes, you know, it's said because it's like a little reminder, like, hey, don't forget, I mean, th this is happening today. You know, 20 years ago, we if we were having this conversation 20 years ago, then, you know, we could say, well, you know, this is what the future is going to look like. But we can't talk like that anymore because these things are happening today in the present, in the right here and in the right now. And so sometimes people get back, oh, you're too harsh, you're too hardcore about this. Well, listen to me. You know, from time to time, you'll hear the example given. If you and me were on a road trip, you know, we're on a road trip and we're at, 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 in, in Kansas and we're on a road trip to the, the beaches of Southern California and, you know, we're, we're in Kansas. Now, if I were to scream from the top of my lungs and shout, hit the brakes, there's a cliff, you'd be like, what? You're crazy. And we're in Kansas. We're in Topeka. We're straight up in Topeka. And I shout from the top of my lungs, hit the brakes. There's a cliff. Then I would be crazy. I would be straight up crazy because we're in Topeka. And so we're in Topeka. I shout from the top of my lungs, hit the brakes. There's a cliff. I'm crazy because the cliff, yes, there's a cliff. But in Southern California, that cliff is far, 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 far away. You see, but you know, we continue going that, you know, we get, you know, we're in Topeka and we continue going, we pass through all these states, we get, you know, it starts to get, 
You know, the, the, when you get to a beach community, you kind of smell it in the air. You feel the humidity in the air. You have that, like those ocean smells. And so we're getting closer and closer. We're on the freeway. We get off the freeway and we're in Southern California. And, you know, we keep driving and driving. And all of a sudden, you know, a mile away, you can kind of see like, oh, it looks like there's a cliff there. You know, and then you get, you know, half a mile away. Okay, it looks like there's a cliff there. You know, quarter mile. You know, 500 yards away and then, you know, 200 yards away and then 100 yards away. And then I shout from the top of my lungs, hit the brakes. There's a cliff. Well, at that point, I wouldn't be crazy anymore. I would be crazy in Topeka. But when we're 100 yards away, we're, you know, we're, we're driving at highway speeds and we're, uh, you know, 100 yards away from a cliff. I wouldn't be crazy anymore. See, to shout in Topeka, I'm crazy. But to shout when you're 100 yards away, and if you don't hit the brakes, you know who's crazy? You are. In Topeka, me, I'm crazy. In SoCal, you're crazy if you don't hit the brakes. You see? And so sometimes, you know, these are things that have to be reiterated and restated. And it's probably going to be said again, because sometimes I get these feedback. They're, oh, you're too harsh about this. You're too harsh about this. Listen, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're living in a time. We're not in Kansas anymore. These are very, very, very dangerous times. And you look at the state of the church today. The state of the church today. I mean, you know. When you go to the, uh, 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 the wayunderground.com and you'll see resources there and there's a, a, a link for danger in the camp. Go there. Check it out. Danger in the camp. You'll see all kinds of sex and all kinds of debauchery and all kinds of disgusting things that are happening inside the church. Not outside the church. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. This is happening inside the church. Inside the, it's already, there is danger in the camp right now. So when you hear us say jump ship, it's not like, hey, jump ship and you're going to sink in the ocean. No, it's jump ship and welcome aboard. Because there's only one way. There is only one way. And it's the truth of God's holy word. You say, well, I, I, I'm already in a church where it's the truth of God's holy word. Praise be to the Lord. If that's the case, praise be to the Lord. That means the formula is right in the pastors, in the elders, in the sanctuary. You have the young, you have the old, you have the mature, you have the deadly. That means the formula, the framework, and the fellowship is on point. And praise be to the Lord. And there better be like maturity there to understand that. You know, you know, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm in, I'm in a church where, where the, the word of God is taught. Because when babies say that, even adolescents, oh, I'm in a church where the word of God is taught. Where do you go to church? Oh, I'm Episcopal. Whoa, okay. If we were having this conversation a hundred years ago, then maybe there could be some, okay, you know, I understand. But today, nope, that's not, that's the wrong formula. Oh, I'm in a church where we, where we study the Bible and they teach the Bible. Where do you go to church? Oh, Lutheran. Okay, same thing. If we were having this conversation 100 years ago, okay. 
maybe 150 years ago. Well, maybe 200 years. <laughs> maybe 200 years ago. And so if we were having this conversation 200 years ago, okay, I can, I can understand. But today, the Lutherans have gone into crazy town. The Episcopals have gone into crazy town. Because the framework of righteousness, it's found in the Holy Bible, Genesis to Revelation. You see? Protestants, don't forget the Bible prophesies about how judgment comes first to the church. In order for that to happen, and it will happen, it will be fulfilled. In order for that to happen, the church has to be straight up crazy town. Crazy town. And so there's a specific framework for submission. Wives unto husband. Now, husband, he better be in submission to Jesus Christ. You see? Now, the same thing applies to pastor. The the, the Bible does say, submit to your pastor. But for your pastor, he better be in submission to Jesus Christ. And don't forget, for the pastor, for elders, for these overseers, always male. It's not just them that you examine. The Bible says it also opens up the home. You look at the wife, you look at the kids. Because if they can't oversee their own home, how can they do that with the house of God? If they can't do it with their own home, how can they do it with God's people? You see? Oh, my pastor teaches the Bible. My pastor teaches the Bible and I love him so much. And it's okay. if, if, if his wife is, you know, an alcoholic, that's okay. You see? His wife is, you know, schizophrenic. That's okay. His or The kids are sexually active. They're having sex like crazy. That's okay. Listen, it's not okay. It's not okay. Get a new pastor. Because he's disqualified. Oh, that's so harsh. That's so harsh. Listen, that's the framework for new wine. New wine that pours into new wineskins, the overflowing from that of that new wine into in, from from uh, into that wineskin, and then overflowing into the body of Christ. You see, when Paul says, "You know, I'm being poured out as a drink offering," you know how beautiful it is to. I mean, put yourself in timid. Put yourself in anybody who was influenced by Paul. You don't even have to look at tiny bubble. You can look at medium bubble or large bubble. Anybody who was under the influence of Paul. And I don't mean like under the influence of Paul. I mean like they were influenced by Paul. You know, well, I guess you could say under the influence of Paul because, you know, for Paul being poured out as a drink offering, you know, praise be to the Lord. But new wine being poured into new other new wineskins. Now, for a wineskin to be old or new, that's between a person and the Lord. You see, that's between a person and the Lord. What do we do? We reckon the old man dead. We reckon the old woman dead. That's the old nature. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Ouija boards, the the occult, the worship of Mary, the yoga, the hot yoga, and all kinds of different things. The the the, the uh, you know the witchcraft and Wicca and whatever the Buddha, Mary, whatever it is. That's the old nature. And in Christ, we are new creations. And even as being new creations, 
We have to reckon the old man dead. We have to reckon the old woman dead. That's the old guy. That's the old lady. You see? And it's so beautiful when you understand, when we understand together, we're in the same boat. But when we have this understanding of biblical submission, it's beautiful. And I love passages like we see in Joshua 17 because it's like you have this Old Testament example. This Old Testament example where, you know, first generation in numbers, male, dead. Second generation, male and female. In Christ, there is no male and female. There is no, no male nor female because there is equality. But with, within that framework of equality in Christ, in Christ, there is also another framework of order. Order, you see? I like to think of like military examples. Say like, you know, there's a branch of the military. Now, everybody is, you know, a, a personnel in that branch in the military, Everybody is personnel, but within that framework of personnel, everybody, you know, having that, you know, equality in terms of being in that same branch of the military, but in the military, there is order and there's rank and there is structure. You see? Where you could have a general and a private. Well, they're both, they both have, uh, 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 they're both in that branch of the military, but different responsibilities. You see, one is a covering for the other. You see, and that's what we see in the family, in the home. And that's what we see in the church. But for the heads, husbands and pastors, that formula is very specific. And it better be right. Because if it's wrong, it's dangerous to submit. You see? It's dangerous to submit. Now, if you want further studies, you know, go listen to our study through Ephesians uh, 5 and 6, and then also Titus chapter 2. We just studied, you know, Titus 2. We just studied that not too long ago. And it's so powerful because we see like, okay, like, you know, what the Bible says about, you know, husband or wives submit to your husbands and, you know, uh, you know, conduct for husbands and conduct for kids, you know, and even like in Titus 2, and we see these, you know, these godly women, these older women. And yes, the Bible does say, you know, homemaker. But when you look at translations and meanings, you see exactly what a homemaker is. And if you're listening for the first time and you haven't listened to our study in Titus 2, put on your seatbelt. And you're, if you're female, put on your seatbelt. Because what is commonly taught as homemaker is not how the Bible describes homemaker. You see? Listen to our study through Titus 2. You'll understand more. And in these passages, these Old Testament examples, like you see these five beautiful, beautiful daughters. Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. And, you know, we saw their boldness before in Numbers 27, and they're still the same. They're still bold here. In verse 4, he says, or, you know, it is written in verse 4, and they came near. Before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the ruler. So, this is, they're not just going to one person. They're going before all the people. 
You know, the, the leaders, Eleazar, Joshua, and the rulers, and they, this is what they say, saying in verse 4, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. <laughs> I love this song. I'm so in love with these five beautiful daughters. The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. So notice their boldness. I mean, if, if, if you've forgotten their boldness from Numbers 27, a little refresher course, these ladies are bold. But I love how they give a little reminder. In their boldness, a little reminder to Eleazar, Joshua, and the rulers. You know, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. And now, you know, we're in the fulfillment aspect. Because look what happens here in verse 4. The fulfillment side. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. So it's like, you know, all the all the male, the, the male, like, you know, uncles and everybody who's male, you know. But then you have these five beautiful daughters. You see? These five beautiful daughters. Because Zelophehad had had no sons. And so we see here in verse 5. Ten shares fell to Manasseh, or ten portions fell to Manasseh, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan which were on the other side of the Jordan. Because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. You know, what I love, I mean, we always say this, you know, I love this, I love this, but it doesn't really do it justice because I'm so, I'm so in love with godly people. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. Godliness. Let me tell you, there's nothing, nothing more beautiful, more exquisite, and more gorgeous than righteousness. There is nothing. And you picture in Numbers 27, when the inheritance laws were being given, and you have people listening, but then put yourself like, Say, you know, you're standing next to, you're like, you know, two people away or just within earshot. Or maybe just you're, you're standing right behind them, maybe right in front of them, maybe right beside them. But they're very near. They're within arm's length. Mela, Noah, Hongla, Milka, and Tirza. These five beautiful daughters. And the laws are being given about inheritance. But then you put yourself in their sandals. When their dad has no sons. You see? Well, what about us? You might hear them say, you might hear uh, uh, Tirza say to Milka, what about us? And when they go to Moses, in one regard, they kind of stumped Moses a little bit because he didn't know. But I love this so much because you know what Moses did? He went to the Lord. Moses goes to God. The source. Lord, what do I do? And you know what God says? God says to Moses, listen, these five beautiful daughters, they speak what is right. They speak what is right. Give them their inheritance. I love that because Moses was kind of stumped. Like, well, you know, we've we've never come across this situation before. Lord, what do we do? I love because he goes to the Lord. 
He doesn't just kind of like think about it and strategize and apply his intellect and logic and say, okay, well, because of X, Y, Z, we're going to do one, two, three. Because of ABC, we're going to do, you know, EFG, you know. He just, well, you know, hold on a second. You, you know, Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, Tirza, hold on a second. Let me go check with the Lord. Let me go check with God. I love that so much because Moses has intimacy with the Lord. Remember, the Lord speaks to Moses as as to a friend. A friend of God. And that's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. Moses goes to the Lord. The Lord says, listen, they speak what are these five beautiful ladies. They speak what is right. Give them their inheritance. You see, the Lord knows the daughters. He knows their hearts. Remember in that example, you know, you're in arm's length. You know, you and me, were standing behind them. They're right in front of us. We could like tap them on the shoulder. And then the inheritance laws are being, you know, given. And then all of a sudden you see them kind of like looking at each other. You're kind of whispering. And you hear, you know, well, what about us? What about? And we know like, oh yeah, what about? Because their dad doesn't have any sons. Their dad just has the daughters. Not just has the daughters, but, you know, no sons. Just the daughters. So now what? And they're not shy, these five beautiful ladies. They're not shy at all. What do they do? They go straight up to Moses. Moses, what about us? And the Lord, the Lord knew their heart. The Lord knows the daughters. Moses, Moses, he says, they speak what is right. Give them their inheritance. Now, keep in mind, when Numbers 27 happens, keep in mind that Balak, remember Balak learned how to make Israel fall uh, uh, by having Israel deny the Lord and, and serve the Baal. Now, remember when Balak, through the council of Balaam, Balak didn't send his mighty warriors down. He sent the women down. He sent the women to defile Israel. And he was successful. Balak was successful. He didn't send, you know, the big guys with their big arms and their big legs and their big, you know, chests and their big thick necks. He didn't send those guys. No, he sent the women. The women come down, you know, I don't even want to imagine, but I, I imagine that they're not, you know, like wearing turtlenecks. And so the women come down and all of a sudden the guys, they do their sex stuff with them. They go into their tent. They do the sex stuff with them. I don't want to get graphic or anything, but I mean, like, that's, that's ugly. That's ugly. And, you know, time passes, you know, short amount of time passes and all of a sudden, these ladies of Balak, a type of Satan, you know what they say? They say, hey, let's worship Baal. And you know what the men of Israel do? They say, okay. They don't say like, oh, far be it for me. You know, that that we, the Lord says don't serve other gods. No, they were already compromised by their own choice. And in that state of defilement, their defilement got worse. They were defiled physically, and now they're defiled uh, spiritually because they're bowing down to Baal. You see? 
and they became even further defiled in their worship of Baal. Now put yourself in the sandals of these five beautiful daughters. They see it happening. They see, you know, they see the women coming down, probably not wearing their turtlenecks. These five beautiful, beautiful daughters, Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirsa, they see the women coming down. And they know, you know, these ladies are, they're, they're, they're up to no good. They know. But do the men know? You see? And then all of a sudden, the camp of Israel becomes defiled. Through, through their own choice. Through their own choice, the men. And then they're worshiping the Baals. They're worshiping Baal. The ladies, they said, the, 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 the women of, uh, of Balak, you know. Hey, you know, we, we did this, you know. I showed you love. You showed me love. Now let's worship Baal. Number one, that ain't love. Number two, they're worshiping Baal, you see. Balak, when you see Balak as a type of Satan, you see how he seduces using harlots. You see? And harlotry, how harlotry enters the camp. But then you put your put yourself in the position of these five beautiful daughters. Think of how disgusted they are heartbroken they are just to see this happen like these are the warriors of israel god gave us promises these are the warriors of israel and they're compromising themselves they grab a lady of balak go into their tent do their business and this guy's supposed to be a warrior this guy's supposed to be a fighter this guy's supposed to stand for the lord the god of abraham isaac and jacob who did all these things for us. We're, I mean, we're not in bondage anymore. We're not in Egypt anymore. We're not shackled anymore. And these so-called mighty warriors, they're going to defile themselves and worship Baal? Think of the heartbrokenness of these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful five beautiful daughters. And not just, there's the disgust, there's the brokenheartedness, but there's still the steadfastness to say, you know what? As for me, I'm not going to worship Baal. As for me, I'm going to worship the Lord. These men want to do their dirty business. These men want to be disgusting. These guys want to deny the Lord and worship Baal. Okay, balls in their court. They made their choice, but I'm making my choice. You see? Now look. You fast forward into the future. I mean, in, you know, the future from in, in, in Numbers 27, you fast forward into that future. And, you know, they kind of stumbled Moses a little bit. I say stumbled, but, you know, Moses has his intimacy with the Lord. So he just finds out with the Lord. You know, hold on a second. You know, let me go find out. You know, what, what about our inheritance? Our dad has no, uh, no sons. What about us? Picture Moses like thinking about that. Oh yeah, you bring up a good point. <laughs> Let me go check. And don't forget, that's kind of like a remnant within a remnant because after the 
after that 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 sin of you know when Balak sent his the not the warriors he sent the whores down not the warriors he sent the harlots down the women after that you know there was wrath in the camp people died where the Lord cleaned house using a plague remember Phineas and the spear the javelin beautiful beautiful Phineas he made his choice too, just like these five daughters. He made his choice too. You guys want to defile yourself? You guys want to do this? Okay, that's nice. Ball was in your court and you made your choice and you chose wrongly. But as for me, that's not happening. And that's what's so powerful about the beauty of righteousness. Because the ball's in everybody's court. The ball's in everybody's court. I mean... Everybody has a choice. I mean, even for the non-believer. Light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. More than the light. They love darkness more than the light. It's okay. They made their choice. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't teach Reformed theology because it's not biblical. The Reformers, okay, so, you know, they're predestined for hell. No, that's not what the Bible says. And you know what I love so much about hope and grace and mercy is that a person can love darkness yesterday. A person can love darkness today. But a person can be disgusted with darkness tomorrow. You see? Remember the... We gave the example of a young gal kind of fed up with relationships. Boyfriend number one, two, three, four, five, used and abused. Where at one, at, at the onset, she loved darkness more than the light. You see? Boyfriend number two, she still loved darkness more than the light. Boyfriend number three, she still loved darkness more than the light. Boyfriend number four, darkness started to lose its luster, so to speak. Boyfriend number six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Darkness was losing its appeal. Boyfriend number 11. Wow, that light seems so good. That light, it seems a little bit better. Boyfriend number 12, 13. Wow, I would sure love to have that light. You see? The darkness loses its appeal. You know why? Because it's a lie. It's a lie. I mean, you see like commercials. It's it's so crazy because you see these commercials. You see like the beer commercials. And everybody's laughing. Everybody's having a good time. You see, wow, what a nice party. But you'll never see commercials with somebody's face in the toilet. You'll never see a beer commercial or an alcohol commercial with somebody on their deathbed because they're dying of liver disease. You'll never see that because Satan wants to seduce you with candy. He doesn't, you know, Satan doesn't seduce you with a, a kick in the face. Satan doesn't come to you and say, hey, you know, uh, walk with me and I'm going to kick you in the face every five minutes. Because nobody would want that. You see? But he'll dangle candy. Make it look really nice. Really beneficial. Really advantageous for you. Understand, Satan is a fisherman too. Satan is a fisherman. And very effective fisherman. I mean, 
Look what he did to the warriors of Israel with the whores of Balak. Balak, through the counsel of Balaam, learned how to defeat Israel. He couldn't defeat them, you know, hand to hand. He couldn't defeat them face to face. He had to defeat them through other means. You see? Harlotry. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. But what's so beautiful is when you see those who make a stand for righteousness, male, female, young, old, I don't care. But you see these beautiful, beautiful people make their stand for righteousness, just like these five beautiful daughters. And now, I mean, you fast forward to the Balak, you know, when the women come down and defile Israel and, you know, uh, the, 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 the wrath of God comes in the form of a plague. And then the plague comes and it's stopped by uh, 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 the javelin. You see, all these people, they make their choice. These, I'm doing my air quotes, air, these so-called mighty warriors. And yet they want to worship Baal. But then you just do a little sidestep and you look at look these five beautiful daughters. Yes, you know, that's sad. It breaks my heart. And I don't want to gloss over it like it's no big deal because it's a very big deal. But they made their choice. You see? These five beautiful daughters, they made their choice. The guys, they made their choice. And these five beautiful daughters, they're not Joshua made his choice. You see? Eleazar made his choice. Phineas made his choice. All these beautiful people were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And these are things that you're going to see in the last days. You're going to see darkness get thick. It's already happening. The darkness is getting thicker and thicker. I mean, look at kids. Look at what they're doing to toddlers in kindergarten and, you know, with, you know, the, the agenda with homosexuality and lesbianisms and transgenderism and these kids are getting darker and darker and darker. But it's not just that. Look at the sex and the drugs and the alcohol that's everywhere. It's getting worse. It's getting darker and darker and darker. But in the midst of the darkness, you're seeing light. The sad part is that lamps are running out of oil and you're also seeing lamps get dark and burn out. You're seeing lamps dim and then you're seeing lamps burn out. But when you look closer, you're seeing lamps get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and that's like these five beautiful daughters. Like Eleazar, like Joshua, like Phineas. Because people want to defile themselves? Okay, ball's in their court. I mean, it breaks my heart, but I'm not saying like, you know, it's, it's a good thing. But they made their choice. But as for you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, as for you, store your oil. Store your oil. It's very important in these last days. Because the restrainer, I can't wonder anymore when the restrainer is going to lift. I can't wonder when he's going to lift. What I can wonder is, is he lifting already? 
You see? Now, if you're listening, oh, the restrainer, that's Michael. Well, listen to our study from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You'll understand more. It's all archived. It's there for you. Now look at these. You know, you fast forward from from uh, 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 from Balak and the women in the camp defiling the camp of Israel, how Israel became defiled. But you fast forward into the future in, in, in Numbers 27. And you see how the Lord says to Moses, Moses, these five beautiful daughters, they speak what is right. Give them their inheritance. Moses dies. Joshua's next in, in leadership. And now you see fulfillment. Where these five beautiful women, five beautiful ladies, Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza, now they can step foot in their inheritance. Now they can stand in their inheritance. Where before they were standing in the promise. But now they're standing in the fulfillment. The same thing applies to you and me. There is coming a time when there will not be faith anymore. Because we won't need faith. We're standing in the promise. And by faith, we lean on these promises. And we trust in these promises. But it's, it's by faith. But there is coming a time when faith won't be needed anymore. Because we'll see Jesus face to face. We'll see him in our glorified bodies. Remember what Paul says? There's a crown that awaits. People say there's multiple crowns in heaven. Multiple crowns like you wake up on Monday, put on one crown. You go to bed at night, take off your crown, set it on the nightstand. You wake up in the morning, put up, you know, crown number two, a different crown. I don't, I don't see that. Oh, but the Bible says there's a crown of this, crown of this, crown of this, crown of... What if it's attributes of the same crown? That's what I believe. Why would there be multiple crowns? Not to suggest that, you know, we, we sleep in our glorified bodies because we're in our glorified bodies, but I'm just saying, you get a little example. What if it's attributes of the, the same crown? There is an inheritance that's got your name on it. It's got your name on it. It's in the heavenly realm. There is a crown that awaits you. And it's got your name on it. But there's a framework by which you and me can lay hold of that crown. There's a very specific framework by which you and me can lay hold of the crown that awaits us. You see? People say, oh, go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You're going to lose your crown. You see? Bible teachers, they call themselves pastors. 
Oh yeah, go ahead and take your take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You'll lose your crown. You see. Oh, the pastor says I'm gonna. I should go grave soaking. So I'm gonna go grave soak. I'm gonna go lay on the grave. That's an abomination before the Lord. You do that. You're walking away from the path that leads to you grasping and reaching and achieving and holding on to that crown that awaits you. Who do they serve? Who do they serve? If what they teach is a path that will lead you away from that crown. Who do they serve? Because servants of the Lord, they want you on that narrow path so that you can lay hold of the crown that awaits you, has your name on it. You see? Just like the Kansas and California example, you know, if I'm in, if we're in Kansas, we're in a car. You and me, we're in a car. And I yell, hey, there's a cliff. I'm crazy. We're in Kansas. There's no, there's no ocean. There's no cliff to the ocean. I'm crazy. But we're in Laguna. We're at, you know, the, the, the Laguna Beach, the, the, the cliffs that overlook the ocean. And then, you know, we're a hundred yards away and, you know, I shout out, hit the brakes. If you don't hit the brakes, you're crazy. You see? If you don't hit the brakes, you're crazy. We're not in Kansas anymore. But you have to be very careful with who you allow in the car. Because there are pastors, there are teachers, there are ministry leaders where you're a hundred yards away from that cliff and they won't say hit the brakes. They won't say jump ship. They'll say hit the gas, hit the gas because they want you to go over that cliff. They want you to fly off that cliff. And they want you to hit the ground and blow up in a fiery ball of inferno. They want that. Why? Because they serve their master, Satan. You see? Very dangerous days. Very perilous times that we live in. But then there are others. The faithful ones, fidelity unto the Lord. They know that you have a crown with your name on it. It's not in this world. And they want that crown to rest beautifully on your beautiful head of your glorified body. You see? And there's a specific framework for that happening. Very specific framework. It's easy. It's super easy. You know, the, the, the Lord himself says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's super easy. Remember Paul when he says, I, I, I fear because you might turn, you, you're going to lend ear to these guys. You're going to give ear to these guys and you're going to turn away from the simplicity that is, in, that is in Christ. It is so easy. 
But Satan doesn't want anybody to know how easy it really is. Don't forget, there is the helper. You see? There is the helper. What does the helper do? He helps. I mean, how easy is that? I mean, you know, people come up, they write books. They write, you know, big, thick books and big, enormous libraries about the helper. What does the helper do? He helps. You could speak to a three-year-old. Mama, Papa, what does the helper do? He helps. So simple, you see? It's so easy. The problem is, some people, remember, just like, it just so happens we mentioned this on Sunday, we studied this on Sunday. Some people believe without the helper, without oil for their lamps. And when this restrainer is lifted, Prophetically speaking, because there is coming a time when he who now restrains won't restrain anymore. The only ones who will have oil in their lamps are the ones who have stored oil. Because lamps will burn out. That's why you hear us say, store your oil, store your oil, store your oil, store your oil. Power for your lamps. Batteries for your flashlights. Batteries for your torches. For my European friends. You see? It's so simple. It's ultra simple. The problem is that the servants of Satan, they like to complicate it. But they do so for a reason. Because they will never yell to you, hit the brake, hit the brake, hit the brake. You know what they'll yell? Hit the gas. Because they want you to blow up in a fiery inferno. They want you to burn in the lake of fire. You know why? Because they serve their father, the devil. Who is it that would say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast? I mean, who would say that to a non-believer? But yet that's said to the flock of God? Who would say that to anybody? And yet you have pastors today who teach it. So-called pastors. I'm doing my air quotes. And so we continue in our study here in verse 7. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Mehmethath, and lies east of that lies east of Shechem. And the border went along south to the inhabitants of Entapua. In verse 8, Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. Verse 9, and the border descended to the brook Cana, brook Cana, southward, southward to the brook. These cities, Ephraim, these cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook and it ended at the sea. <clears throat> Southward, it was Ephraim's. Northward, it was Manasseh's. And the sea was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Beth Shean and its towns. 
Ibleam and its towns, the inhabitants of Dor and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Tanakh and its towns, the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns, three hilly regions. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. Now, understand that with inheritance, we've already seen pockets of resistance, which will pose future problems. And I hate to say that, but we're going to see this as we continue our studies through the Old Testament. You're going to see this and we're, you know, we're going to make mention. Do you remember how uh, these inhabitants were driven out of the cities? Well, now they're a problem. You see? Now they're a problem. But as we say from time to time, observe Israel according to the flesh. What about us? What about us? What about pockets of resistance inside of us? And I speak of the flesh, the carnal nature. What about pockets of resistance inside of us? When you see the Amalekites as a type of sin, as new covenant believers, and what does the Lord say? Kill it. Kill it. Kill them all. You see? And that's not, you know, I don't say that like, you know, kill them all, like, you know, and, and you're advocating, like, you know, the, the, you know, remember covenants, understand rules of engagement within the covenants. But when I say kill them all, I'm talking about every nuance of the carnal nature. You see? Anger, violence, rage, sexual sin, pornography, the strippers, the prostitutes, the Buddha, Mary, the yoga, the hot yoga, the Ouija boards, the occult, Wicca, pride. You see, alcoholism, you see, extortion, kill them all. You see, you don't kill them all, well, you're going to have problems in your walk with the Lord. Just as we see, you know, uh, 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 these, uh, 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 they did not utterly drive them out as we see here in the Old Testament. Well, Christians do the same. They don't utterly drive out the sexual passions. Christians don't utterly drive out the passions of the flesh for riches, the, the pride and arrogance. And so you see these strongholds of the flesh, strongholds of the carnal nature. Even a person could be a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50, 60, 70. A Christian could... You know, be around for decades, having never driven out, completely driven out these carnal desires and carnal passions. And then you see the work of the flesh, the extortion, the alcohol, the Ouija boards, the sex, the occult, the drugs. You see? Kill them all. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. Kill them all. And so we see here in verse 13. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor. Remember, this is as tribute, just like we ended our study last week. You know, there's always opportunity, you know, 
in as tribute in forced labor, there's always an opportunity for something incredibly beautiful. Always. But it remains the choice of the individual. Just like the example, you know, like that we gave, you know, you and me slaves. You and me as slaves. And in the course of time, how it can turn into something glorious, something beautiful. The same thing applies today. I mean, we see here in verse 13, when the children of Israel grew strong, that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. The same thing happens today. I mean, just like that young female in the example we gave, and we've given the example for several weeks now. The young female, boyfriend number one, she loves the darkness more than the light. Boyfriend number two, she still loves the darkness more than the light. Boyfriend number three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And she's in bondage. Deep, deep, dark bondage. A slave to sin. Boyfriend number 12, 13, 14. The darkness starts to lose its luster. The light starts to gain appeal. Boyfriend number one, two, three, four. She loved the dark. She loved the dark more than the light. Now she became in deep bondage. It got deeper and deeper. Her sorrow got deeper and deeper. And right around boyfriend number 13, Satan was going to tell her, you know what? Just jump off a bridge. Just kill yourself. Just start cutting yourself. Just overdose on these. Look, nice and cheap. Fentanyl-laced drugs. Nice and cheap. You need a crack pipe? Go to the Catholic Church. Get your government-sponsored crack pipes. That's what's happening. That's the gov- I teach from America. America has government-provided crack pipes have been distributed to Catholic churches. So people go to the Catholic church and they get their free free crack pipe. See? That's what's happening today. And so Satan, boyfriend number 15, Satan was going to whisper to her, why don't you just jump off a bridge? Why don't you just go to the Catholic church and get your crack pipe? You can OD. You don't have to go home. Just OD right there, right outside the door. Go to the back alley. OD over there. Say goodnight. That's how Satan works. He was a murderer from the beginning. When she was, when she wanted boyfriend number one, she had a desire for boyfriend number one. The whole thing, it was a facade. And Satan, Satan knew that he wants, he knows he wants to kill her. Boyfriend number one, two, three, four, five. He knows the whole objective is to kill her so she can be OD at the back alley of the Catholic Church with her government crack pipe. Satan knew it. She didn't know it. Satan knew it. God knows it. God's servants know it. You see? But right at boyfriend number 13, 
Satan had her all prepped to just whisper in her ear, go to the Catholic church, get your crack pipe, go to the back alley, you get your lace, the fentanyl lace crack, and you're good to go. I'll take really good care of you. Say goodnight, take the dirt nap. That was Satan's objective, who was a murderer from the beginning. He knew it at boyfriend number one. He knew it was all a lie. When the darkness had its appeal, she loved the darkness more than the light. Boyfriend number 10, 11, the light started to gain appeal. The darkness was losing appeal because she was in the darkness. You see? She was getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit. Boyfriend number 15, that's when Satan was going to drop the bomb. Go to the Catholic church, get your crack pipe. Go do some crack in the back alley. I'll lace it with fentanyl and you'll take the dirt nap. You'll feel really good. That's what he was going to do. That's how he was going to seduce her. The whole time it was a seduction. But at boyfriend number 15, that's when he was going to drive it home. But right around boyfriend number 13, boyfriend number 14, she has an encounter. She has an encounter with another female who is straight up deadly. Not a baby Christian, not an adolescent Christian, not a mature Christian, the next level Christian, which is straight up deadly, fully armed. Locked and loaded, ready to go. And this warrior female Christian has a fishing pole. You see? And then in the course of time, in the course of a little conversation, this lady who strung out No hope. Satan was about to whisper to her, just go to the Catholic church and get your crack pipe. Go to the back alley and get your crack. I'll lace it with fentanyl and you take the dirt nap. Right before he was going to do that, deadly warrior woman comes on the scene with her fishing pole. You see? And all of a sudden, this girl, this young lady who's strung out on boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend and feels like there's no hope feels guilty because she knows that the light came into the world and she loved the darkness more than the light. And there was another person who told her that she's predestined to hell, the Calvinist, the Reformed, where, you know, she had a little glimmer of hope and the Calvinist says, well, because of your boyfriend, because of this drug abuse, because of this, well, you're predestined for hell. So, you know, I'm not going to talk with you or anything. There's no point because you're predestined for hell. And so that just sunk her even deeper. Man, there's really no hope for me. But then deadly warrior, valiant warrior, like these five daughters, you know, like, like, uh, uh, like Mela and Tirsa and Noah and Hola and Milka. All of a sudden, deadly warrior woman comes on the scene, fully armed, locked and loaded and with a fishing pole. The lady says to the young girl, says to her, but this other Christian told me that I'm predestined for hell. No, that, that, that's false doctrine. 
the warrior Christian, the warrior lady. Fully loaded. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. And then the, all of a sudden her eyes get as big as saucers. You mean there's hope for me? There's hope for me? Yes, there's hope for you. Come on, let's get you cleaned up. Come on, let's get you cleaned up. And all of a sudden she believes in Jesus. She repents and comes to Christ. And she gets cleaned up. And you see how beautiful it is? It's so powerful when you when you see not just our salvation, but when you see hope in the salvation for others. I don't care how dirty they are. I don't care how dirty the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. I don't care. Now, I do care when it's inside the church. That's not good. But outside the church, what do you expect? What do you expect? You expect to go to in, in, in the world? You expect to go to Corinth and not see sex? Not see the drugs and not see the alcohol? You expect to go into the world and not see that? No, that that is the world. And it's getting darker, it's getting darker, it's getting darker. But that's where the fish are. You see? Now, a little disclaimer, I don't mean to say, you know, do you expect to go in the world and not see sex? I don't mean like, you know, hey, let's go look at sex. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you expect not to see those exposed to those things. So, a little disclaimer. It's very important for you and me, for us, our people of the way, to understand Rescuing souls as through fire, hating the garment defiled by the flesh, but yet still fishing for souls, men and women. Now, you go back to the perspective of Satan, who was just about to utterly destroy this lady, this young gal. He was a murderer from the beginning. He knew his objective was so that, you know, she could go to the Catholic church and get her crack pipes. He knew what he was going to do. It was a plan. And deadly Christian comes on the scene. And he knows exactly who she is. He knows exactly who she is. The demons, they know exactly who she is. You know, just like Paul, you know, Jesus, Jesus, we know, Paul, I know, and you know, this girl, we know, this lady, we know. But this guy, who is that guy? This lady, not a threat. Satan knows the deadly ones. The demons know the deadly ones. We're not talking baby. We're not talking adolescent. We're not talking mature. We're talking next level, which is deadly. The fully armed, locked and loaded with fishing poles. Satan knows exactly who those people are. You see? And he wants them dead. He wants them dead. Look what he did to Paul. You read the early church history. Look at what happened to the beautiful saints. The beautiful, beautiful saints. Because these deadly Christians like Paul, like Titus, like Timothy, they were very effective. Like, like Philip, like Priscilla and Aquila, like Lydia, like Chloe, very effective. Very, very effective. Satan knows exactly who they are. I mean, when you read the book of Acts and you see the number of people getting saved, 
at the very beginning of the book of Acts, you see like thousands and thousands of people getting saved in the very beginning of the book of Acts. Thousands of people getting saved. It's like, wow, this is beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful. And you see these deadly Christians empowered by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And the kingdom is advancing. Thousands coming to Christ. But then you get into the latter chapters and you don't see the thousands anymore. You see a couple here, a couple there. You see? Because Satan is on offense against these deadly warriors. We got to kill Peter. We got to kill John. We got to kill Paul. You see, it's warfare. It's a, it's battle. I mean, carnal battle, it's compared to spiritual warfare, carnal battle is like, it's nothing. Compared to spiritual warfare, whew, serious business, very serious business. You see? Because we're talking about the rescue of souls, the salvation of souls. We're talking heaven, hell. Heaven or hell. And narrow is the way that leads to paradise. Very specific formula. Very easy. Very easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But very specific. Very specific blueprints. You see? And so we continue in closing in verse 14. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We see a little glimpse of murmuring and complaining. We see a little glimpse of that. Why haven't you given us only one lot and one share to inherit since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua, <clears throat> so Joshua answered them, if you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both those who are of Beth Shean and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. Uh-oh. Not only do we see a hint of murmuring and complaining, but we also see a little bit of that first generation when the first generation feared the Canaanites. See? The Canaanites, they dwell in the valley, and, but they have chariots of iron. You see a little bit of that first generation where instead of fearing the Lord, they feared the Canaanites. I have something to say to the younger generation, my young brothers, my young sisters, whom I love. Kids, 
You might be five, you might be three, you might be 10, you might be 15, you might be 11, you might be eight, you might be nine. I don't know. I want you to know that I love you. And I say this in the utmost of love. It might sound good, it might sound bad. There's variables to that. And I love you. You're not your parents. You're not your parents. I'll say it a third time. You, my beautiful brother, you, my beautiful sister, are not your parents. You are not your mom. You are not your dad. You are not. Now, if your parents are godly, that might be a bummer to you. They might be like, oh, man, I'm not them. Listen, it's beautiful if you were to be like them, but you're not them. Now, if your parents are wicked, that might be like, whew, that might be like a good thing. But I say it and emphasize it even more. You are not your parents. You are not your mom. You are not your dad. They may walk with the Lord. They may not walk with the Lord. Ball was in their court. Ball is always in their court. They have a choice to make. But you're not your parents. You are not your mom. You are not your dad. And I don't mean that to sound abrasive to you, my beautiful young brother, my beautiful young sister. I don't say that to sound abrasive to you like, you know, ha ha ha, you're not your mom, now get out of here. You're not your dad, now get out of here. No. But I say that to urge you and emphasize this point in this urging unto you. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Your own walk with Jesus. I can't tell you it breaks my heart. But sometimes I talk with kids, teenagers, and they can't wait to turn 18. They cannot wait to turn 18 because they can't stand their parents. They can't stand their parents. You know, 12-year-old, 13, 14, they can't wait to get out because they can't stand their parents. Because kids are smart. Kids are smart. They see. You know, mom and dad, they go to church and everybody goes to church and at church, it's just a facade. They got a smile on their face and, you know, mom and dad, oh yeah, let's hold hands and, oh yeah, we're lovey-dovey, we're a nice loving couple. But if walls could talk, oh my goodness, if walls could talk. You have abuse in the home. People, they speak Christianese. They can speak Christianese to their blue in the face. But because of hypocrisy, alcoholism, uh, uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, molestation, Whatever it is, the Buddha, the Ouija boards worshiping Mary, the yoga, whatever is introduced into a home. And I have these conversations with kids and they hate it. They say, yeah, I love Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to love him. For who you say he is. But I look at my parents. I look at my parents 
And they don't live as though Jesus were Jesus. They do at church. They do on Sundays. But Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they don't. Let me tell you something, my beautiful young brother, my beautiful young sister. That's called hypocrisy. That's called hypocrisy. And it's not good in the eyes of the Lord. Instead of you wanting to turn 18, anxious to turn 18 so you can leave. Instead of you developing a heart of callousness towards Jesus Christ. And even a heart of callousness towards your parents. Let's keep your heart nice and beautifully and wonderfully soft. Just softer than the softest jello. Let's keep your heart like that. And understand what is happening. Mom and dad are crazy. You see? Because they made their choice. Ball was in their court. They want to go to church and pretend to be Christians and then, you know, do their sex and drugs and alcohol and whatever on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's on them. And it pains me to say this, but you're in that environment. Because that's the roof that you live under. I wish that weren't the case. And when the formula is right in the church, you could speak to a pastor, speak to a youth leader and say, hey, listen, these things are going on in in my home. And biblically speaking, that pastor is tasked to address the matter. Let's forget the wife. Remember, the buck stops with the husband. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, come here, let's have a conversation. You see? It breaks my heart. You know why? Because instead of parents greasing the skids for the next generation of righteousness, they don't even grease the skids. They just, they're doing the part like taking the rails apart so that kids can crash and burn. That's what parents are doing. And today, you know, with churches on every street corner, you talk with a child, a teenage child, who's very confused and says, well, you know, there's a disconnect at home because I love the Lord and, you know, you teach about the Lord and I love everything. But there's a problem with mom and dad, good old mom and dad. And then you say, okay, let's pray, understand what's happening. Let's pray. And I'm going to have a conversation with mom and dad. You know what mom and dad do? You're so mean. You're so crazy. You've lost your mind. Come on. We're going to this other church across the street. We're going to this other church on the street corner. We're going to this other church over here. And they're going to tickle my ears and they're not going to say anything. I can still do my sex and they're not going to say anything. I can allow all this sex to happen and they're not going to say a word. I can allow the drugs and the alcohol and all this mess, the Ouija boards, the occult, all this, you know, I can allow these things in my life, in in my home, and I can go to this church, and I'm going to feel really good about myself. 
You're so mean-spirited. How dare you speak against me that way? Oh, you're breaking up my home. You're, you're such a divider. You're breaking up my home. See? That's what's happening. For my young brothers, my young sisters in Christ, you're not your parents. If you have godly examples, praise be to the Lord. But if you don't have godly examples, praise be to the Lord. You know why? Because godly example or no godly example, you understand the framework of righteousness. Ball was in their court, they made a choice. But you know what? The ball is in your court as well. The ball is in your court as well. And just like Paul and Chloe and Timothy and Titus and Priscilla and Lydia and Moses and Joshua and Phineas and Mela and Noah and Hogla and Milka and Tirza, the Lord can be yours. When everybody is defiled because they defile themselves. The Lord, he can be yours. And you can be his. I'll say it again. There is nothing, nothing, nothing more beautiful, more lovely, more exquisite, more gorgeous. Nothing than righteousness. You see? You might be five, you might be eight, you might be 10, you might be 12, you might be 13, you might be 14. Understand this framework and walk with Jesus. Your own walk with him. You see? Prophetically speaking, and my beautiful young brother, my beautiful young sister, I don't mean this to scare you. But the Bible teaches that in the last days, a man's enemies will be under his own roof. Enemies will be under your roof. I mean, if 100% of the occupants in where you live, if 100% are Christians, that's awesome. That's you know, praise be to the Lord. But prophetically speaking, that will be rare. It might be that the very ones who say, I love you, behave and act and treat you as though they hate you. Perilous times. We're living in the last days. Understand this formula and framework. And rejoice because you and me together we can look up and know that redemption draws near. Now this isn't like an end all to be like, well, you know, if that's your situation, okay, tough. You know, I don't want to come off that way. But you understand the framework. And then you go to your pastor, go to the elder and say, hey, listen, this is what's happening in my home. And biblically, they're supposed to address it. Biblically. 
They have a responsibility to address it. You see? Now, if you're five, you might not understand this. If you're 12, 13, you might, you might understand if you're five. I don't want to, you know, undercut you or anything like that. But if you're five, six, seven, you might understand. But this is why formula is so important. Because if you're in a Calvinist church, if you're in a Reformed church, you know who's the bad guy? You are. Because you're not submitting. That's what happens. I Listen, I call it like I see it. I call it like I see it. I, 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 I'm not going to teach lies. If I teach lies, then I'm disobedient and hello like a fire. That's not happening. You see? And when we study these truths... Truths hurt sometimes. I mean, if you're in the flesh, truth hurts a lot. But when truth doesn't hurt anymore, that's, that's righteousness. Because truth hurt when you were carnal, when we were of the flesh and when we were walking according to the flesh. But truth doesn't hurt anymore with the more righteous you are. And the righteousness of us is really the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because as the Lord says, abide in me and I in you. That's why formula is so important. Because there's safety in the confines of sound doctrine. And it breaks my heart because I've had these conversations with teenagers and they can't wait to turn 18. You know, it's like they speak and it's like, wow, you know, you teach like this and teach like this. And I love it, but it's difficult at home. Like, it's like I have a better time at church than I do at home, you know. I have a better time in this fellowship than, you know, at home. Because at home, it's a mess. Breaks my heart. And yet, these are the days in which we live. And so for my young siblings in Christ, let Jesus be yours. Let Jesus be yours. You see? Because you know what? One day, you might be 10 and it's going to be a while. You might be 8 and it's going to be a while. But one day you're going to leave home. And when Jesus is yours, you're not going to leave home and leave Jesus. No, you're going to leave home and your intimacy with the Lord is going to get even more personal, more intimate. You see? Living in an apartment, intimate with the Lord. Be a missionary, intimate with the Lord. Wherever you go, intimate with the Lord. Why? Because you are His and He is yours. You abide in Him and He in you. Intimacy with the Lord. But let me ask a question. Why wait till you're 18? If you're 10 years old, why not start now? If you're 5, if you're 8, if you're 12, 13, 14, 15, why wait till you're 18? Why not start now? 
Why not start today? Why not start right here and right now? Why not? What's holding you back? You see? And that's what we see here in verse 16. You see little tidbits. Little tidbits of this generation. It's like, well, wait a second. They're starting to have a little glimmer. A little glimmer of murmuring and complaining and fear. You see? Remember, Israel under the leadership of Joshua, beautiful. But when Joshua dies, it gets ugly pretty fast. When Joshua and the elders die, it gets ugly pretty fast. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. And so in closing, we look at verse 17. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot. So now you see a little bit of the relenting side. But the mountain country shall be your shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down. I love this because, listen, work still needs to be done. Work still needs to be done. It's not like, okay, you can have this, you can have this, 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 uh, uh, this extra lot and, you know, you can have this extra, you know, you, you know, everything is, it's, it's, everything is laid out for you. Everything, you know, you already have your, the brick and mortar, you already have the hammocks, you are, you know, it's just there. Just all you got to do is just go occupy and it, it's, no, you still got to work. Although it's wooded, you shall cut it down. There's still work. Don't forget. Hands and feet. Are part, are part of the body that includes heart and mind. I'll say that again. Hands and feet are part of the body that includes heart and mind. Old Testament, New Testament, and even today. I mean, I have hands. I have feet. I have a heart. I have a mind. You see? Same with you. You have hands, you have feet. I mean, I can't say that a blanket statement. You might not have, you know. But you have a heart, you have a mind. Hands, feet. That's... You know, I have a heart. I have a mind. I still have to walk. I still have hands to work. Now understand, we're not saved by works. But faith without works is dead, as Brother James says. And you have these Old Testament examples of this very truth. Although it is wooded, in verse 18, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Yes, they have iron chariots. And if that's cause for reservation, okay. But you still got to drive them out. You see, relenting, you know, when, when in verse 17, when, when Joshua says you shall not have only one lot, you think, okay, he's, he's giving in to their demands. Well, hold on a second. There is an aspect of relenting, or shall we say grace? But it doesn't serve as an excuse or dismissal of hands and feet because there's still work that needs to be done. 
This truth is seen all over Scripture, all over the Old Testament, as an example of the very truth that Brother James speaks of, teaches, and writes. That faith without works is dead. To be a hearer of the word and a doer. Not only a hearer, but also a doer. When you and me together apply the words to the word of God to our lives. And praise be to the Lord. Because the Lord sees it. He sees it. He sees, wow, that's my girl. Wow, that's my guy. He's in my word. And look, he's applying it to his life. She's in my word and she's applying it to her life. He sees, he knows. And don't forget, there's the helper. There's the helper who helps us apply the word in our lives. Now, if somebody wants to quench the spirit, if somebody wants to extinguish the spirit, number one, don't do that. But the ball's in their courts to do it or not to do it. But as for you, remnant, don't do that. Do not quench the spirit. Do not extinguish the spirit. You see, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows. That's my guy. That's my gal. He knows. And that's the remnant. We're going to see all kinds of different atrocities in the camp of Israel. I mean, look at Balak when he's, you know, Balak through the council of Balaam when he sent not the warriors, he sent the whores down, the women down. And you look at the atrocities. And yes, it was an atrocity that was also coupled with the wrath of God. The judgment of God. But in that environment, you also see, wow, you know what? This guy is sold out to the Lord. This lady, she's sold out to the Lord. These daughters of Zelophehad, they are sold out to the Lord. Now look, inheritance. You see, it's the same for us. Same for you, same for me. It's going to get dark. I'm, I don't want a candy coat and say like, oh yeah, everything's going to be fine and dandy. No, it's going to get dark. It's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. But the Lord knows those who are his. And you have a fellowship where the formula is beautiful according to scripture. There, you know, the, when you read prophecies and you know, we're going to study these prophecies but you're going to see a very, very specific framework for guidance in perilous times. Very specific. And it's so beautiful because the Lord sees. And the, in the guidance of the Lord, that doesn't exclude, that there's, there's no exclusion for perilous times. Because perilous times, it's, it's going to befall the earth and it's already here. You see? And there's always a remnant. Always. When you see this mass defiling across the land, this mass defiling in the camp of Israel, this mass defiling of Israel proper, there's always, always, always a remnant. 
an Isaiah, a Jeremiah, a Hannah, a Samuel, an Amos. Look at Corinth. You have a Chloe. You see? Look at Crete. You have Titus who's going to go clean house. There's always a remnant. And we're going to end our study here, pick up next week, Lord willing, in the next chapter. But to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.